welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. I don't know what to do now. I feel like I'm supposed to say good morning. Good morning! <laughs> we'll do it anyway. If you've got your Bibles uh, with you, we'll be in Genesis chapter 2. You can already, or uh, you can go ahead and open there. Well, in the 1940s, they began to develop a concept that they wanted to study outer space more. Now, from Earth, there's all kinds of problems with studying outer space through a lens. There's light pollution, there's atmosphere, there's all of these things that hamper our ability to look into space. And so what they decided in the 1940s is, we want something in outer space that can view even farther into outer space. It took a long time for this to actually happen. Fifty years, in 1990, we launched the Hubble Space Space Telescope, which is supposed to revolutionize our ability to see space. I've got a picture of that coming up here now. The Hubble Space Telescope... That thing, that thing up there is able to sit in space and it is to, able to get the clearest views of outer space that you can possibly get. Now there was a problem when they sent this up here in 1990, they realized that they were not getting the images that they expected. Next picture please. They realized that the pictures looked a lot like the picture coming up here on the left. They were, they were there, they were magnified, but they were very distorted. And as they began to research why, they found that they had made some miscalculations about the angle of the mirrors and the lenses because they had not calculated for the lack of atmosphere in front of the telescope. So a couple years later, they send up an extra mission to repair the Hubble telescope. It was called uh, it was called CoStar. And basically, what they did is they took a giant contact lens and put it on the front of the telescope so that you now get pictures like you see on the right. Now, why do I bring that up? The reason I bring that up is because I think that what we need as Christians and what the Bible does for us as Christians is it gives us a set of glasses or it gives us a lens in which we look at the world through that gives us a clear view of what the world should be. And as we're in this new series, Bookends, what we're doing is we're doing just that. We're looking at the Bible and we're trying to get the overall understanding of the Bible, an eagle-eye view, to give us a lens of how do we view this world, how do we view the rest of the Bible, and how do we view all of creation through the lens of the Bible and through the lens of God's creation, His glory, and His goodness. Last week we looked at chapter 1 of Genesis where we asked the question, who is God? Who is this being who created everything? And what you'll find in Genesis chapter 1 is it's not just us to worry about how everything appeared here. God begins to reveal himself to us in between the lines of Genesis chapter 1 in who he is and what the traits of him is are. His uh, being, his character, the actions in creation tell us of his goodness and of his love for us. At the end of chapter 1, we see the second what I would call character of the Bible introduced to us. The second character of the Bible is man. Now I'm going to use that word man today. I'm not thinking like man like me. I'm thinking of mankind. Human beings are created in the beginning of this. In Genesis chapter 2, God is going to define for us who is man. We already know God is the main character. We know we must be secondary. And with this eagle eye view of the Bible, we're going to try to create the lens for us to view the world and the rest of the Bible of what is the purpose of man, what is the value of man, and what are the constraints of our existence. If you've got your Bibles open, let's read in uh, Genesis chapter 2. Read with me verses 4 through 7, please. 
kind of a recap of Genesis chapter 1. It says, This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, before any plant of the field was, it, was in the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground, but a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. There's your recap, uh, recap of creation. Verse 7. And the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Your first take home truth, number one, is man is created special. You and I are created special. We see a change here in how God has been creating versus how he creates man. If you read last week, if you read Genesis chapter 1, what you'll find throughout the entirety of the book or through the story is God speaks creation into being. God says, let there be light, and there was. God says, let there be animals, and there was. Let there be rain or separate the firmaments, and it did. God speaks creation into existence. But when he gets to man, we see something different. God did not speak man into existence. God formed man from the dust of the ground. That, that Hebrew word there formed is yatsir. Yatsir, it means to form, fashion, assemble, or shape. Now what's interesting about yatsir is many times in your Bible, that word is not translated as formed. That word is translated as potter. Now, you guys have probably seen this, and the Bible is, is full of imagery of this. You guys have probably seen somebody, they take, they take a, a lump of dirt, and they put it on a little wheel, and they spin it with their leg. You guys seen this before? And a potter can take his hands and place his hands on this and take this rough lump of clay and begin to turn it into something beautiful. And you watch it slowly take form before your eyes as, as they put pressure in just the right places and they curve it here and they create a hole in the middle of it. And, and they take this lump of clay and they make for it a beautiful vessel that has beauty and it has purpose. When the Bible talks about God creating you and me, it doesn't talk about him creating us as just kind of some kind of an afterthought. God, like a potter, places his hands in the dirt and begins to form man from the dirt. Now, what that tells us about, the, or tells us, about us is that we are special because we are formed by God. Your, first, your next take on truth is man is created special because, point A, we are formed by God. Now, it's interesting that in all the other Bible, God decrees existence, but he forms us. To me, that speaks of the value of mankind. If you take your own personal time to create or form something, it is more valuable to you than something that just exists. Uh, just an example of this, I had a, a neighbor when Jessica and I moved into our house, Mr. Ralph, he's elderly, um, really enjoy having him. And when we moved in, he and his wife Lucy came over and they brought, they brought this cutting board to me. And they said, welcome, welcome to the neighborhood, here's a gift for you. And, and I really appreciated this, but I thought, in my mind I'm thinking, why would you go to Walmart and buy a cutting board? But then he began to tell me about this. He said, I've woodworked all of my life, and um, I made this, and I want you to have this thing that I made. And I'm like, well, now the value of this to me is more because it was handmade by somebody who put time, effort, and energy into it. And then he began to, as a good creator, as someone who had put time, energy, and effort into this, he began to describe to me the process of how he made this. He told me what tools he used to bevel the parts. He told me how he had stamped his name in it. And then he told me this. These two dark pieces of wood here. He said, those pieces of wood are special. What does special wood mean? He said, you don't understand. He said, my dad 
cut that tree down before I was born in West Virginia. And we've carried that log through our family as we've moved from West Virginia to Chicago. I think he was in St. Louis. This 12 by 12 inch log has always traveled with us and we've used it for very, very special projects over time. He said, in this particular board that I made you, it has two strips of that 100 year old tree that was cut down by my father. It's precious. And suddenly I went from thinking, why would you bring me a cutting board from Walmart to this is a precious gift? Why? Not because it has any inherent monetary value but because somebody placed their heart and soul into creating it and they created it with purpose and they created it special. What God does with us is he creates us that way. There's an intimate intentionality to the way that, that God creates human beings that points to the truth that we are valuable to him. Not because, uh, not because of how he created us, but he creates us that way because we are valuable to him and we are meant to be connected to him. Now at this point we have, God has created this, this body of a human being, but it's lifeless and it's not animated. And when I think of God creating Adam, I see just this, this void concept of a man just kind of laying on the ground. And it often reminds me of what it looks like when somebody we love passes away. And we go to the funeral and they have the, the casket open and we walk up to them and we view this, this body of somebody that we once loved. And what I think every single time I go to a funeral is, that's not them. I mean, sure, that's their nose and their ears, but there's something about that body. They're not just asleep. They're not in there. That is an empty shell of a human being, but that is not a him, human being. That's what God began with. He began with an empty shell of a human being. And what brings us to life is God breathes in us. That's your next point, is we are special because life was breathed into us by God. This is unique of all creation. Not only did God form us, we are the only thing that God has formed in this way from the dust of the earth. We are the only thing that God breathed life into. God created the animals. He said, let the animals come forth from the earth. And there were deer and they were just alive. They were just living beings. God said, let there be fish of the sea. And there were fish swimming around the sea and they were just alive living beings. God takes us, he forms us out of dirt and then he breathes his life into us. Now there's some discussion about what that might mean. Here's the way I envision it. This is just my best guess is that body is laying on the ground, formed to the dust, perfectly sculpted and formed by God. And God leans over and he gets close to Adam's mouth and he just breathes. Just, and in that moment, Adam's eyes begin to move. He begins to look around and he sits up and suddenly he's created. Nothing else in the Bible gets that level of attention and that level of detail from God. God, God did something special in creating us, but he also brings us to life by putting something of himself in us. He creates us in this way because we are supposed to be like him. This, this something that he breathes into us, this, this way that we're brought into being creates something special in us, not just that God made us special, but we are the only creatures that are eternal. You kill a deer, it, it's gone. You have pets that they leave us one day. This entire earth, we'll see this when we get to Revelation. Everything you see, God is going to do away with it and start over, except for one thing, and it's you and me. Though our bodies may die, our essence still exists forever and ever and ever. That's an essence of God within us. 
Now, why did God create us in this special way? What was the purpose of this? This this takes us back to God's first mention of creating us in chapter 1. This is verse 26. Listen to this. God says, let us, then God said, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps the earth. Your next take-home truth, point C, is we're created special because we're created in God's image. Understand this, human beings do not just exist as some part of God's imagination. Human beings were created for the purpose of being image bearers of God. Now, what does that mean? I'm not really sure. Does it mean that God, the Father, physically looks like us? Maybe. The Bible does speak of God sitting on a throne. It speaks of, it speaks of God's feet. It speaks of God's hands. It could mean that uh, we are created with the emotional intelligence of God. We are the only beings that experience the range of emotions that we do. Animals do not experience love in the same way that we do. Uh, um, animals do not experience our ability <coughs> to process emotions the same way we do. So we have components of God's emotional being within us. You might say that we're made in God's image intellectually. We are the only beings created that have a sense of morality. We are the only human beings created that have a or the only beings created that have a sense of creativity. Uh, Oakley loves to go to the zoo, and I like to go to the zoo too. It's like amazing to look at all these things that that God created. You know what I've never seen? I've never seen the otters start a mining operation to try to get lithium out of the ground. I've never seen the gorillas begin to fashion and form for themselves cell phones. You know, God gave us the ability to do these things. God gave us a creative mindset, the ability to distinguish between right and wrong, something he gave nothing else. These parts of us are the essence of God, or the image of God, I should say. Ultimately, the main point, regardless of what it means to be in God's image, ultimately the main point is this, is that humanity, human beings, are beautiful. Because we were built and designed to reflect the beauty of a good God. That's the entire essence of the Bible. When we, look at, when we look at the Bible and we read stories about humans, when we look at the Bible and it says, love your neighbor, and we ask, why do we have to do this? This is the ultimate answer because human beings are something special from God that were placed to be, uh, placed to be bearers of his image. And so we look at ourselves and we say, we're special. And you are special. But listen carefully. Everything special and unique about you is ultimately meant to reflect the specialness of God. That hurts because privately, I want to come here and I want to say, I'm special because I'm smarter than everybody else. I'm better looking than everybody else. I have more money. I have a better job. I dress better. I have a better vehicle. I have a better family. And we come up with all these reasons why we are better than every other human being. We come up with all of these reasons pridefully that we want to think that we are special. But what the Bible says is you are wonderful. You are precious and you are valuable, not because of who you are, but because of how you were created. Because you were created to reflect something amazing and something special. And so God, God puts us here to reflect him. 
in, in the old world, you uh, have probably seen this before, they, they would create these false gods. And most of the time when you see false gods across the world, what they do is they take some kind of a human emotion and they give it a body and a face and a name. And then they say, this is the God of the things that I want. And, and in the biblical times and sometimes in, in places in this world, what you'll see is they'll create an idol, an image that represents this God. It might be a human with a fish head. It might be a lion with a human head. It might be a person with eight arms. It's always different, but they'll create this image and they'll say, that, that is our God. And they'll create this God. And one of the things that is very prominent in some parts of the world today and was prominent back in biblical times is that there was an actual business of people who would create small images of that idol and sell them. And they would take that image of that idol and they would place it in their house. And that, that image was to remind them of the God that they chose to serve. Now let me be clear, I'm not, I'm not comparing our true God, the true God, with some false God. But that concept of making smaller images and scattering it across the nation or scattering it across the world was stolen from God. You know, God looks at us in the Bible and he, and he gives us these directions in the Ten Commandments. And one of the things he says is don't make any graven images and don't worship them. And that doesn't just mean don't worship false gods. We're not supposed to make images of God to keep in our house to worship and pray to. We don't need to give a picture of who God is for people to look at. You know why? Because God has already done that. God has created little images of himself and populated the world with them. And this morning, there's about 60 of them sitting in this room coming together, uh, coming together to worship him. See, we are, we are images of God. You are the person sitting next to you, the person sitting on the other side of you, and the person who was driving too slow this morning on the way to church in front of you are all images of God. Now, as we look at this, um, I want to ask, how are we like God? If we're creating the image of God, how are we like him? What, what does it mean to be in the image of God? And last week, we looked at the image of God, and we saw that God is a ruler. We saw that God is good. Uh, we saw that God is a creator. He brings order to chaos. But we're going to stick to just chapter 2 here, and we're going to see if we can understand how God's nature is reflected in us and how we are image bearers of him. If you still got your Bible, we're back in Genesis chapter 2. Read with me. We're going to read verses 8 through 20. Uh, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We'll get back to those next week. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four river heads. The name of the first river was Pison, and the one which skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedillium and onyx stone are there. The names of the second river is Gihon. It is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hedekel. It is the one which goes towards the east of Assyria. The fourth river is Euphrates. Then God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to the beasts of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. 
Your second take on truth, how do we, or your number two take on truth, how do we reflect God's nature? The first thing we see in this part of the story is we, point A, maintain order. God creates Adam, he gives him life, and he places him in this beautiful garden, the Garden of Eden. We could spend, we could spend weeks just studying where the Garden of Eden might have been and what was the purpose of the Garden of Eden was. Here's the ultimate thing. God creates this place for Adam to live and thrive, to have joy and to have connection with God. And he gives this garden to Adam, and then he gives him a job. It's interesting that before the fall of man, before sin, men were given jobs. And Adam's job is to tend and keep the garden, to own and to prove it. Now, what I see with this is, is this garden without attention. Many of you know if you've tried to grow anything, if you do not pay attention to plants to a garden, it will grow into chaos. There will be vines everywhere. The plants that you want to grow will die. The weeds will grow up. And what God does is he creates this garden and he gives it to Adam. He says, tend it. Care for the trees, care for the plants, keep it organized, keep it taken care of, keep it cut back. And in this, we see part of our nature as human beings is we are people, we as people have this innate desire to organize and control chaos. If you don't believe me, give any man a yard and a lawnmower and he will mow that thing until he cannot stand it anymore. And ladies, you ever seen your man, he mows the yard and then he stands at the window and he looks at it and he's just looking at it for a while? Sure, that's not just me. You know what men are thinking? It is good when we have tamed the yard. But it's not just yards. This has been throughout all of human history. This whole world once was inhabited by nothing but trees and wilderness. And mankind comes in and what do we do? We tame it. We take grasslands and we turn them into farmlands. We take forests and we take them into places to live. And these things are not wrong. God gave creation to us for that reason. We are responsible to be, uh, we must be responsible with creation, but it's not wrong for us to use creation. That's what it was created for. It was created for us to tame. And in that part that we maintain order, we, we see a part of God. What did we say last week? God looked at the world when he first created. God created the heaven and the earth and he looked down on it. It was void and without form. And over the course of six days, he begins to bring order to this chaos of the world. And what do we see in mankind created in the image of God? Is that there is something within us to bring organization, to bring order to a chaotic world, whether that's the nature around us, whether that's our houses, there's something about us that tells us to manage. Uh, secondly, how do we reflect the nature of God? Point B is we have the right to rule. When God takes Adam to the garden, he doesn't just say, lay down for a while, enjoy it, here's a hammock. God immediately gives Adam jobs. And one of his jobs was that he was to name all the animals. Can you imagine trying to name every animal with, with no language? Nobody telling you what it might be like. Nobody telling you what you might compare it to. You just got to come up with a sound that's that name. And so God brings before uh, Adam a zebra, and he's like, that's a zebra. And God brings before Adam a horse, and he's like, that looks like a zebra, but it's not a zebra, it's a horse. And then there's the elephant, and the tiger, and the leopard. And God brings all of these things before Adam and says, you name them. And what I love about this is as he does this, God never looks at Adam. God is not like me in this aspect. If I, if I took something to my daughter and said, name these things, and she wants to name them all the same name, I'd be like, well, let's try again. God gives that right to Adam. Adam, you're in control. These things are yours. You name them. You have dominion over them. As a matter of fact, chapter one uses that exact word. He says, I have given him dominion over the beast of the earth. 
So Adam was created to rule. God, Adam was created to, to be a ruler like God, under the authority of God, but to be a ruler like him. Not the ultimate ruler, but an under ruler. And this is where we tend to mess up. God created in us this desire to, to organize. He created in us this desire to rule. That's part of what God put us here for. But what we do is we take these things that God created good in us, and we break them and we call them sin. Did you know that every sin ultimately has a beginning in something good? Kind of like every lie begins with some type of truth. Or I guess every good lie begins with some kind of truth. Every sin begins with something God created good that we broke. If you look at the sin of gluttony, gluttony is a sin because we take something that God created good. He created food for us. It is supposed to be good for the nourishment of our bodies. It's supposed to be good to eat. And we take it and we cram it down our throat until it's unhealthy. If you look at, at sexual sin, sexuality, God created sexuality to be a good thing. It's in chapter 2. God says, go multiply and cr uh, across the earth. Go do these things. That's a good thing. And yet we as human beings take sexuality and we break it and we make it this nasty, dirty thing. You can, look, you can look at the sin of um, theft. What God has done is he has created this world and he has made creation, as we saw last week, to be good. It is desirable. And what we do is we take in our heart, we take something that is desirable, we take desirability, and we turn it into covetousness. Not only do I desire what God has given me, I desire what God has given someone else. The sin of abuse when we abuse other people comes from the fact that we take a power and a strength that is literally given to us and supplied to us by God and we use it to domineer another part of God's creation, another human being. And when God gave, made us, he gave us dominion to be a ruler and we messed up because what we said is, I don't just want to rule under you, God. I want to rule like you. What we'll see next week in chapter 3 is Adam and Eve are tempted not by some kind of money. They said, I want to be like God, knowing good from evil. I want God's position. I want what God has. So going on from that, God made us able to rule. The last thing that God made us, point C, is God made us relational. God made us relational. Read with me verses 21 through 25 as we continue this chapter. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought it to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of a man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and not ashamed." So here we have Adam. He's created in God's image. God has literally formed him from the dust of the ground. He has breathed life into him. And with every single thing in creation, God looks down at creation and says, it is good. But for the first time, God looks at Adam by himself and says, it is not good. It is not good that man should be alone. Now, let me be clear. When God says it is not good, this is not God saying, I messed up. This is God saying, this creation of mankind is incomplete. It is incomplete until this man is given community. It is incomplete until com mankind has relationships and relational rules. And God brings to Adam all of these animals, and all of these animals are not comparable or compatible with a Adam in any way, on an intellectual level, on a physical level, any of those things. See, what the Bible teaches about us, and it is true, is that human beings need community. We need connection. 
We simply cannot exist without it. As a matter of fact, scientists would tell you years ago that the essence of survival, you need food, water, and shelter. Human beings can survive with food, water, and shelter. In order for a human being to thrive, they need food, water, shelter, and now they're adding to it love. Human beings cannot exist without community and without connection. And we can see this in real time in the world. This is not just like some Bible conspiracy theory. You can see this real time in the world that human beings without connection are having a problem. Our younger generation, my generation, millennials, and the generation below me, Gen Z, we have been trained to basically worship these devices. We are the most connected generations in human history, and yet science would tell us that we are the loneliest generations in human history because we have counterfeit yeah, Siri's talking to me now. You see who my friend is. We have connections with people, but not true connections. We have Facebook friends, but not real friends. We have, we have followers on Instagram, but no community to live within. And you see in the younger generations the highest amount of anxiety and depression in any generation this far. Why? Because we're lonely. Because we were created to need community, and we find ourselves without community. We saw this during COVID. You guys, are, you guys remember the whole COVID thing? It seems like a bad dream now. We're like, there's this new, this new thing going on and we're just going to shut the world down. Everybody stay in your house. Don't go to work. Don't be around people. Don't, don't handshake. Don't hug. And we tried that for an entire year. The year of 2020, we saw a 25% increase in the need for depression and anti-anxiety medication. Why? Because human beings cannot thrive without community. We cannot thrive without communication. We, we desperately need that. And so when God looked at Adam, he said, it's not good for Adam to be alone. He needs community. He needs relationships. Adam must have a helper. And all the women in here just went, oh, the helper speech. The sidekick speech, we know, we know. Man was created first and women were added to be with Adam and women are supposed to cook and clean for Adam and all that. That's not what the Bible's saying. If that's, if that's your reaction to this, that's not what the Bible's saying. Understand this, God uses that word helper for woman, which would be insulting in our world. But God uses that exact same word for himself 17 times. He calls himself the helper of Israel. This word that God is looking for when he says Adam needs a helper, Adam needs somebody with him. This is not a sidekick. God uses this to refer to somebody who comes alongside of Adam and walks beside him. Uh, it was once famously said, I think Martin Luther may have been the first one to say it. That, that woman was fashioned out of a rib, not from the feet to be run over by man, not from the head to, rule over by men, to be ruled over by men, but from the side of man to walk beside him, under his arm to be protected by him, and close to his heart to be adored by him. That's what uh, Eve was created for. And you see that concept in the way that Adam reacts to seeing for the first time his wife. Adam sees Eve and he's not just like, hi, I'm Adam. He doesn't introduce himself. He goes into this like excited tirade. He's like, finally, I've looked at all of the animals. I've looked at all of, there is nobody here who is like me. There is nobody who I'm compatible with. But this thing, this thing is the bone of my bones. This is the flesh of my flesh. She is like me. I will call her woman. She is important. And in this, God, create, or God finishes the creation of mankind, both men and women. Now, why do we desire community so strongly? Why did Adam kind of exclaim, yes, that's what I'm talking about when he saw Eve? Because God is a relational being. 
God, God is a being who wants to know you, by the way. God is not impressed by how well you sit in the seat when you come to church. God wants to know you on an intimate level. That's why he created us on an intimate level. We are to be known by him. God exists, number one, in community. We talked last week about the Trinity. We exi- or God exists three in one. God in himself is community. And when God designs the world, he designs the world with beings who can know him, be known by him, and who can make him known. And we see that desire for the community that God has within him. We see that in us as well. And so God gave Adam Eve and he said, go multiply and, and, refill, and, um, and, multiply and, and fill the earth. Now, let me say this. Uh, You may be sitting here and you're saying, well, does that mean that singleness has no value if God gave Adam and and God gave Eve to Adam and they were together? Does that mean singleness has no value? And I would say absolutely not. As a matter of fact, I would say biblically, that's an absolute untruth. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 spends a lot of time talking about the value of being single and what God can do through someone who is not attached to marriage. And so what the Bible is saying here is that human beings need community. You may not need marriage and God's plan may not be marriage for you. And if you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, marriage, marriage seems really important to everybody else. It was just June. Everybody's getting married. Everybody has somebody but me. It may not be God's plan for you. It may not be God's plan for you now. But God's plan is never for you not to have connection with other human beings. So to understand man, we have these six points that the Bible lays out for us. Man was formed by God. Man is life breathed by God. Man was made in God's image. Man was made to maintain order. Man was made with a right to rule. And man was made relational. Now what we do with all of this is we take this and we provide a lens to look at the rest of the world. We want to understand the rest of the Bible and the rest of the world based on this information that was given to us by God. That, that, that tells us who we are and who we should be. And what's interesting about this is we think about the Bible, and I've heard this said, so the Bible no longer applies to our world. The, the Bible does not relate to us. Uh, the Bible is the wrong side of history. I've heard that one. The Bible's a lot of fairy tales. But in Genesis chapter one and two, the biggest question humans have ever come up with is answered. The ultimate question that all humans want to know is why am I here? What's the point of life? And it's answered in Genesis 1. God created us. God created us to be with him and to be in community with him. And second, the biggest cultural wars that we see in 2023 in America are addressed here. And we want to take these facts as a lens to correct the perspective of today's problem. Uh, next week, we're going we're gonna to look at Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to introduce our third character. First character, God, main character, then God creates humans. Next week, we will see for the first time, we will see Satan, the devil, Lucifer. And what we see about him is from the second he walks into the story, he begins to attack the design of God's, of God's creation. And to this day, Satan continues to attack the design of God's creation. He wants to pull us away from that. He wants to destroy everything that God designed good. But here's the way that we look at the Bible. Here's what I know about Genesis chapter 1. Is that when God creates something with a purpose, he creates it good. And anything that is an attack on God's design must be less than good. If it's already good as it is and something attacks it, that attack must be bad. So here's very quickly a worldview we get from Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, Point A, 3A here. 
when you take home truths. The first thing that we know is God is in control. Unquestionably, in these chapters, God is in control of everything that is happening. He will continue to be in control. When we get to Revelation and we read the last several chapters of the book, you know what it's going to spell out for us? God wins. God is in control. Everything ultimately surrenders to him and he brings this universe and he brings all of the rebellion against him back under his control. And so when we look at this world today and we see politics and wars and sin just running about, I want us to know this. Be comforted. We serve a good God. He he is working a plan. And because he is good and it is his plan, God is working a good plan. Maybe, if nothing else today, walk out of here knowing God is in control and ultimately it is going to be good because He is good. It might not be today, it might not be tomorrow, but ultimately it will be good. The second thing we see from Genesis 1 and 2, point B here, is marriage is God's design. You see that God created two humans. He created them male and female, and he created them with a purpose to complement each other. And they were created differently on purpose. We live in a world right now that has a sexuality dynamic that says, accept all attacks on God's original design of, of sexuality. We live in a world right now that says, accept men who think that they're women, accept women who think they're men. Accept love of all things, whether it's between a man and a woman, between a man and two women, two women with themselves, two men with themselves. Accept all of these things. But understand this, even though that may be popular in today's world, God's design was for a man and a woman to come together. That is the way he designed us. And if we go against his design, we are settling for something that is less than good in what he designed. And it does bring about a lot of problems. Number three, point C, the lens that we can look at the world, is human life is valuable. Individuals are special. Humanity is special because it was created with intentionality by God to be bearer, or by God to be bearers of His image. We don't need any other qualifications on life to see if life is valuable other than this. Were they created in God's image? And for that reason, when we look at the world, Christians look at this and we reject racism because all humans were creating God's image. We, we have a value of life, whether it's for the born or the unborn, because those human beings are precious in God's image. And we take things even like war and death sentences very seriously because it is still a life of an image bearer of God that is being lost. Even if it is the enemy of our country, even if someone who's committed a crime, it may be necessary, but it is incredibly difficult to do this if not for if not for the sake of of the lives that we lose for the sake of god who created those lives and loves them now understand this brother dan if you want to start making your way it's not just chapters one and two of the bible that agree the rest of the bible speaks of the value of humanity the rest of the bible talks about how precious we are to god Because what God does is he takes this creation, he gives us everything, he gives us all of his goodness, and we immediately turn around and say, I don't want that, I want your job instead. And we reject him and we live in rebellion to him. But the entire Bible is a story about God's pursuit of you, of how valuable you are to him. And this is the value. God the Father sent his only son and he said, I want you to die so that I can have my most valuable creation back. Now this morning you may be sitting here and I want you to know this, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, God adores you. He adores you more than anything you could think of. Think of how you love your spouse, think of how you love your children. God loves you a million times more than that. 
And all he wants from us in the end of the story is for us to be back with him. So this morning I have an invitation for you. Maybe you need to uh, recreate your view of the world through a biblical lens. You need to take what we've learned here and say, I'm going to change my mind about some of the opinions I have on the world because God created this a certain way and I'm going to go with him. But you may be sitting here as well and you may be saying, you know, I don't know this God. And if that's you today, you can know him. I'll be sitting here waiting for you. Let's stand and worship. Thank you for joining us this week at Ramsey Heights. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. And if you did, feel free to share it with others. If we can help you begin to follow Jesus or grow in your relationship with him, join us on Sundays or connect with us on social media or our website, ramseyheightsfamily.online.